Hello again, everyone. I'm Tim Muma, and you're listening to localjobnetwork.com radio. This is Management Decisions, where we call on experts to discuss some workplace topics that will help out managers and those upper-level individuals. For this episode, we're examining the idea of influence and the psychology behind it in the workplace. And to break it all down for us, we have Paul Hebert on the show. Paul's the Vice President of Solutions Design at Symbolist, and he's also recognized authority on incentives and performance motivation, which, of course, plays right into this conversation. Paul, thanks for coming on LJN Radio today. It is my pleasure, Tim. Thank you for inviting me, and uh, I look forward to having a nice, interesting chat. Yes, it is a, it's an interesting concept and the idea of psychology and influence. And I think the first place people a lot of times, the first question that comes up is, oh, why is this needed as an employer? I mean, we're paying these individuals. Why do I need to motivate them? Why do I have to influence them to do this or that? And what would I guess what would your basic answer be to that? Well, it's, uh, I think, a fairly easy answer. And that is, you know, we've spent a lot of years where the, you know, we had uh, machines on the factory floor that put together products and cranked them out. And we had owner's manuals for those machines. And it told us when when to do <laughs> maintenance, how to oil them, when to oil them, when to turn this screw. And if we changed products, we went in and we reconfigured something on there and it actually built a new product. Mm-hmm. Well, we've kind of moved past that industrial age. We are now in, some people call it the knowledge age. Some people call it the age of connections. Mm. But the reality is we are in the age where human beings are now our means of production. In other words, companies get more valuable if they have more and better human beings working there. So the question then is, how do I now manage human beings? What's the owner's manual on that? What's the maintenance on that? How do I reconfigure as my market changes? I don't have the ability to go in there with a screwdriver and a hammer and change anything. So I have to really understand how the human brain works and how human behavior works. Because as a manager now, that is my focus. It's, uh, It's the ability to go in and kind of just through the use of understanding different ways the human brain processes information, guide behavior. So it's critically important to add value to an organization for today and even more so in the future. Right. You mentioned the term, you know, means of production. And when that comes down to the the human aspect, you, you also use the term value. I guess, where does that all fall in line? How can you break that down for the listeners and what you mean by means of production, especially when you're talking about the, the human element? Well, I think if we look at where uh, value is being created in the market today, I mean, uh, we we have all the headlines saying jobs are going overseas. We're seeing a few now saying that they're actually coming back, which is a good thing. I don't Mm -hmm. think we want to watch 100% of our manufacturing go out the door. But the reality is even in the manufacturing world, how smart my people are Hmm. and how quickly they adapt to changes in the marketplace. I mean, think of Apple. You know, they sell stuff. They sell consumer goods now and software, but, you know, they really made their money on the iPhone, which is a product, which is put together in a factory. But the real value of that is the software interface the design aesthetic of the product itself, which comes from no place else other than the human brain. So, you know, no machine said, hey, we need to have this swipe thing work this way so it looks really (laughs) cool when you hit a button and it all fades away and comes back. Right. That's the human interaction. So the value they're creating is through human beings. And that applies across the board nowadays. You look and talk to CEOs, you talk to HR people, the real focus, what what they want is, you know, they want innovation. Mm -hmm. They want talent that can think for themselves. There's a whole school of what they call self-management now, where people are saying, I need people to kind of be able to survey the, the, 
the landscape and come up with new ideas. You know, the old days of command and control just don't work as well. Right. I mean, we used to have hierarchies with managers, directors, supervisors, VPs, executive VPs, and that worked really well when there was very little change in the environment because if you had time now to have a decision go up the ladder and come back down the ladder mm-hmm. and you had time to wait for that to happen. We don't have time. I mean, look at uh, I mean, $16 billion for WhatsApp. I mean, I'll bet most people hadn't heard of that company yeah. a year ago. And now they have. <laughs> oh, yeah everybody, yeah. everybody thinks they're worth $16 billion yeah. now. But that's the time scale we're on. Right. So if I don't have a way to get in and actually guide the behavior of the people that work in my organization and be able to get in there and kind of get them to move in different directions, you know, I'm in a disadvantage to somebody that can. And so influencing that behavior through different psychological tools is critically important to guiding behavior. So do you think, and we'll obviously get into that psychological aspect here in just a moment, is it just the speed of everything that's made this change important? I mean, I understand that we're not manufacturing as much and it's so much knowledge base, but mm-hmm. I mean, is that speed or that social connection, is, are those big reasons that the shift had to have been made within organizations? I think speed's a big part of it. I mean, you just don't have the ability to, like I say, wait on a a committee decision, number one. But I think, you know, the the other side of that coin, too, is that, you know, it's the creativity of the individual and the brain power. It's not an issue of just creating it once and letting it run for for 100 years or 50 years or even 25. I mean, it is going to change that quickly. I need to have a reactive audience and I have to have a proactive audience, too. So, again, it's just getting back to the idea that the human brain is now just much more important in that value-added equation. Uh, I can't have one engineer design one type of machine and be able to make a lot of money on that forever and ever. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it's just not going to work. Right. Well, let's get into that aspect. I mean, to me, it's a, a fun area to talk about the idea of, of the brain and psychology and influencing others. I mean, where do you start with this when you're trying to explain to somebody how that all works together and how influencing behavior becomes a part of the workplace? Where I start with clients and with, with people that I'm dealing with, first of all, we're not talking about, you know, Jedi mind tricks. It's not like I'm going to be able to wave <laughs> Darn. my hand. That's what I was hoping I know. For. Everybody, everybody <laughs> wants to know, hey, does that mean I can get people to do stuff for me? Right, well, no. exactly. I mean, we're all still, you know, have a certain amount of free will, and we're going to make a decision based on what's presented to us. And we have logic, and, and we do go through a decision process. I say that, but there are a lot of things that are what I would call kind of, uh, you know, almost non-thinking responses. And it's just the way the human brain works. Mm-hmm. When I present this, a lot of times I talk about the idea that we're kind of hacking into the brain a little bit. Nice. And it's not that it's manipulative or, um, you know, a negative at all. It's just a better way to communicate, a better way to kind of get your point across. I mean, Dan Pink's new book on sales, you know, it was all about how to be more persuasive. He's saying that everybody in some form or fashion is in sales and you need to persuade. And all we're talking about here is giving managers tools to better persuade. Right. And what we're talking about are things that really come out of a book by Dr. Cialdini. He wrote back in the late 80s, all around the idea of, of influence and persuasion. And he came up with like six different tools or uh, what he called click were responses. And that was in the day where tape recorders were really, you know, the, the way to record voice. And he sure. was thinking that when you hear these things, that's like somebody, click, you know, hitting the play button on a tape recorder. So you, right. your brain kind of goes click and goes right into a, <laughs> a pre-programmed way of responding. And, and an easy one for people to recognize is the whole idea of scarcity. As soon as I tell you that you can't have something, mm-hmm. the value of it goes up. Hmm. 
I mean, heck, our markets work that way. Business works that way. Um, parenting, you know, but, but, parenting, parenting. You works can't that have way. that. You want. I, <laughs> yeah, I, and truthfully, that, that's one of the things I talk when I do these uh, presentations for big groups. I always start off by saying, "I'm not telling you anything your five year old doesn't already know," <laughs> because most of the the tricks of the trade, so to speak, are the ways that we can be influential and guide behavior are kind of hardwired, and our kids pick them up real early. Right. I mean, the idea of scarcity. I mean, you know, there's only five left, Mom. We got to go get it, and mm-hmm. of course, now Mom gets all excited. <laughs> and has to go get that because she's afraid of losing out. Well, when you're competing with your or working with your employees, you're trying to guide their behavior and or or your manager by setting up the fact that we only have so much time before this thing expires changes the way people respond to a request. They're hmm. going to think it's okay. We need to move a little quicker. There's some urgency associated with it. The other thing too is just this whole idea of we like to respond in a way that is consistent with the way other people respond, the social proof or consensus. Uh, you know, it's kind of like going around, going with the crowd and going right. with people like you. So when you're talking to a group of people, to be able to say to your employees that, you know, 80% of the people that are successful do this, well, that's going to influence them to want to do that more. And this is great for managing up because, uh, you know, VPs and managers love to be like successful people, you know, they want to be put in that same category. So to say, look, you see it every day. Hey, Zappos does this, so mm. what we should do it. Or Google does this, so we should do it. Well, I want to be just like Google. Well, kids do that every day, right? <laughs> yeah. Kenny's mom said it's okay. <laughs> so, I mean, your five-year-old's got this stuff nailed. <laughs> so that's just a couple of ways right. that, you know, our brains can just be, depending on how we position information, can actually, we can hopefully, you know, guide people in a direction. I think one of the questions that comes up with this, and you mentioned the ideas of scarcity and sort of this idea that, well, it's working for this group of people. So this is, Mm -hmm. you know, where you should look to it. And obviously you're not condoning lying in any way. So how do you go about creating that scarcity, so to speak, or creating that idea? Because, I mean, granted, not not every time something you're doing is going to have that time frame to it or whatever. So I guess what's sort of maybe a step or two that you would utilize to to foster that that idea? Well, first of all, like I said, there's six or eight of these. There's a lot sure. of different biases that our brain goes through when we're making decisions. We're biased in certain ways. You know, there's a lot of discussion today about behavioral economics and how that can influence the way we decide to do things. You know, telling people something's free gets more people to respond mm-hmm. than just a low price. So there's a lot of different ways. So first and foremost, don't think there's only one or two ways. Right. Like I mentioned that there's six kind of categories that Cialdini came up with. Scarcity is just one of them, and it doesn't always apply, and that's Hmm. fine. The key here is to be able to be familiar with the different ways you can influence behavior and then apply it where and when it makes sense. Here's a good example, uh, especially for managers where we're talking about performance reviews. A lot of times, performance reviews, people will go through and they'll tell you all the things you've done incorrectly over the year and you need to work on those, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, the reality is humans are very influenced by past behavior. We want to remain consistent Hmm. with how we've behaved in the past because otherwise that's saying we're liars, so to speak. So in doing reviews, when I did reviews with my team, I didn't focus so much on what they've done wrong as much as I would focus on what they have done and accomplished over the past years and say, you know what, you have consistently hit your goals. Right. You have consistently done these (laughs) things. Is that something you think you can continue to do? Well, of course, they want to remain consistent with past behavior. So they're going to say, well, yes, of course. And if you can find ways to show them, you have done these six things in the past. 
on a regular basis. We want you to continue to do that. Can right. you do that? Well, of course. You know, now I've reminded them of what they've done well. I've reminded them that they consistently do that. They're going to want to remi- remain consistent with that behavior. The other thing is, you know, there's a thing called the foot in the door or, or you know, you get the commitment principle, which means that once I tell you I will do something, I want to remain consistent with that with that commitment. So you used to, you know, a lot of times, especially during uh, election, you'll get calls that say, if the election were held tomorrow, right. would you vote for? And what they're trying to get you to do is start laying a foundation so that when you walk into the voting booth, you now have subconsciously committed to voting in a certain direction because you've gotten six calls. Each of those times <laughs> you said, yeah, if the election were held today, I'd vote that way. Well, now that weighs on your mind. Mm-hmm. Subconsciously, you're kind of pushed in that direction. You can do the same thing when you're talking about with employees, where you're talking about, if we could get this done in the next six months, would you be willing to support that direction? If we found out that the market was going to support a blue widget versus a green widget, would you be supportive of us changing the direction of that product line? Okay. Well, you know, now you're starting to lay the groundwork because you know that they're going to go blue in six months. And now this person is going to want to be more inclined. And again, none of these things are guaranteed. Like I said, this is not Jedi stuff, but you're not going to wave your hand and have the droids walk by. <laughs> you know, people are still there's going to be a percentage of people that are just not going to work with this. All we're saying here is this is a great tool for managers to increase the odds that people will respond and it's a great way to nudge behavior in a direction you need it to go. And I, I appreciate that practical comparison between what you mentioned, the voting aspect versus how you bring that into the mm-hmm. workplace. I think people appreciate hearing that that concrete idea of how it works because, of course, a lot of this is talking in theory and you have to figure it out on your own moving forward. You know, you mentioned a couple of times the idea of uh, you know Jedi mind tricks and, of course, in a joking manner. But I brought this subject up to a colleague and the first thing he said was, oh, manipulation. And again, we, that's not where we're going with this. So can you, I guess, describe to people how it's, we're not talking about a lack of ethics or a lack of manipulation, or I guess a manipulation in this, in this aspect. Um, how do you differentiate between the two? And how do you explain that there isn't anything unethical about it? Well, I mean, first and foremost, it's a tool. No different than a hammer, different than a screwdriver. Sure. You wouldn't describe a hammer as being a weapon. You would say it's a tool. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, some some people would, you know, if we're going to get in the political arena, and, and we'd say a gun is a weapon, or it's also a, you know, a tool for hunting. But uh, the reality is, is these are just tools. It's how you apply them that become. That's when the word manipulation comes in. If, sure. if you're manipulating, you're using these tools to get people to do things that are unethical against their, you know, or you're trying to get people to move in a direction that's really kind of against their point of view. Mm-hmm. Chances are it's not going to work as well, number one, because it's going to not be consistent with their previous beliefs. So you're already fighting an uphill battle because, you know, you're trying to get them to, to now go in a direction that isn't consistent with their past. Um, so you're fighting that. But also, it's the individual. It's not the tool itself. So yes, uh, is does it change potentially somebody's mind? Possibly. Does it guide their behavior? Does it help you nudge them in a certain way? Absolutely. I mean, people have had this argument, especially in the wellness arena at work, where they try to change people's behavior to have them eat more healthier food, eat better food. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they do the same thing by putting you know the calorie counts in big big letters on right. on the the real real heavy fattening stuff and lo- smaller on the stuff so you automatically are, are kind of psychologically saying Ooh, that's smaller so I'm going to get that changing plate sizes those are you know if you think about it that's manipulating somebody's point of view sure but you would never say that's a negative 
you would say that that's influencing, that's nudging, that's guiding because it's a good thing. Right. So again, it gets back to the ultimate goal and the person doing it. Anything could be a negative. This is just another tool for helping guide behavior in a, in a direction. And again, like I said, it's not 100%. It, right. it, it just increases your odds that people are going to be a little receptive to change. I think that's a completely fair point. And I think uh, you raise a quality idea and the idea that it's a tool. And of course, people can use tools incorrectly or, or unethically. But um, all the things you talked about here, uh, as you mentioned, are are more of a nudge and an influence and the people still having a decision to make. Um, even with, you, you brought up the foods. I think, that's a, I think it's a great comparison too. We are extremely low on time here, but I did want to ask you um, in terms of resources that the listeners could go to, uh, maybe places they could get a better idea or maybe read some more or find out some more about influencing behavior, especially from the management point of view, um, anywhere they could look or any suggestions you have for them? Well, I would definitely go out and get at least, if nothing else, you should get Dr. Cialdini's book, The Power of Persuasion, Influence and the Power of Persuasion. It's been a bestseller for years and years and years. Uh, They have some updated versions. I think the most updated version is just called Influence, Science and Practice. His last name is spelled C-I-A-L-D-I-N-I pronounced Cialdini. But I mean, if you just Google, uh, you know, influence six, it'll get you there, believe me. Uh, (laughs) He's probably the most quoted social psychologist out there these days. And he hasn't really done any new research for years. But that's that's where you would start. There's also book, uh, recent books, some of the more recent ones, Nudge by uh, Richard Thaler. Uh, There's a book called Sway uh, by, um, oh gosh, who did that one? I think, was that... uh, Brofman, now that might have been a different one, but Nudge, Sway, Influencer. There's a great book called Change or Die, where they have, you know, where that's that's a big one. Where if you told somebody that you, if you don't change your behavior, you will definitely die. And and the reality is, is that when people have heart conditions and they tell them that, only ten percent of the people actually change their behavior. So really, changing behavior is difficult. Mm-hmm. It is difficult. Sure, uh, but it, being a manager, these are critical. I think for getting the most out of the the units of production, which is human beings today. I'd start there. And then from that, you'll you'll see all these studies and places you can go. There's LinkedIn groups on behavioral economics. So there's a lot of places to get new information. All right. Well, perfect. We do appreciate you, of course, giving our listeners those uh, other opportunities to look more into this. And of course, your insight today, I think a uh, very interesting topic. Unfortunately, we are going to have to wrap things up here on management decisions. Uh, once again, we've been talking about the psychology of influence, some interesting items we did explore today with Paul Hebert. Again, he's the vice president of solutions design over at Symbolist. Paul, thanks again for bringing us your perspective today. It, uh, it was much appreciated. And my pleasure. And just to get a plug in, Symbolist.com. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Thank you. As always, for the listeners out there, we want to know what you are interested in learning about. Just send us an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com and we can hit on those topics that you are truly interested in. For everyone here at LJN Radio, I'm your host, Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later.